you'll take your Bibles this morning and if you will open them with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. We are walking through what has, for several months now, what really has been more of the, what we know as the Christmas passages, but the average Christmas sermon will not deal with the text that we have this morning or the ones that we will deal with in the weeks to come. And so we see in the weeks to come Jesus in the temple. And so 40 days pass after his birth. And so we, we hear very little of this in, during the Christmas season. And so my hope is, is that over the, today and then over the next few weeks that this is going to be a great treat for you as we look at the importance of what is taking place here in the temple and what is taking place in these verses. And so if you will, I want you to look with me this morning in Luke chapter 2. And I want to go ahead and read and then we'll, we'll dive in. But look with me in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse uh, 21. Beginning in verse 21 it says, When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. We have seen in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, that it was the power of Caesar Augustus that brought Jesus, that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. In Matthew, we read that it is the power and the threat of King Herod that would drive Mary, Joseph, and Jesus into Egypt. But now as we turn here, we find that there is a greater power and a greater authority that will bring and convict Mary and Joseph to go to Jerusalem. And what you need to know is and understand is as we read these verses is that Mary and Joseph did not have to go to Jerusalem. They could have done this somewhere else, somewhere closer, a synagogue, somewhere, you know, that was more in reason. But out of great conviction, not only out of their love for God, but also the fact that their son is the son of God, you see that they are now coming into Jerusalem to the very temple where the presence of God once resided and now the flesh of God the son of God the incarnate will walk will now be carried into the temple and what we find here is is we we ask ourselves a question well why is it so important why are these little verses about the circumcision and about the offering of these sacrifices so very important what is the great authority what is the great power that drives them there Well, brothers and sisters, we see it mentioned over and over again in these verses. In verses 22 through 24, you will see three times the the phrase, the law of the Lord. And then you will see it again two or more times between verses 25 and verse 39. What we have here in our present text is five times where the law of God is mentioned. Three ceremonies will take place. Two people will prophesy all and all this is taking place because of what God has promised and what God has commanded all the way back in the Old Testament. 
And what Luke is doing for us today is is that he's going to connect what is taking place even more into the law of God and into the prophecies that we read even in Isaiah. By looking at them, we're going to see that Christ, even in his infancy, Christ, even when he is eight days old, Christ, even when he is 40 days old, he is actively keeping the law of God, which is important. Because, brothers and sisters, it is the active obedience of, the, of Christ to the law that makes him the only sacrifice suitable for our salvation. It is Christ who has to identify with us the sinners. As one pastor who was preaching and ministering to a leper colony one day began to realize that he could no longer feel he had no, no feeling in his foot. He, he, reached, they had, he had spilt some hot water on his feet. He felt nothing. He reached down and he began to poke his foot and he felt nothing. And every Sunday before he would stand up and he would tell the lepers to turn their Bibles to a certain place. He would begin to preach them. But on this particular Sunday he came and he says, My brethren... My, my leper brethren, my friend, he is now one of them. He is identifying as one of them. He is no longer one who is clean and they are unclean. He, he is no longer one who has no infirmity and they have all the infirmities. He is now one of them. And he stands in the pulpit and he calls them his brethren and he begins to preach the gospel of Christ to them. As we see here in this text, Jesus Christ has to identify with you and I And we talk about that in our sufferings. We talk about that in our joys. We talk about that in our temptations. But today, you're going to see that Christ is going to have to identify with us in His obedience to the law. Even when He's only 8 days old. 40 days old. Dear friends, the work of salvation begins now. Jesus Christ, the Son of God has jumped into the water to help those drowning. He has entered the ring. He has entered the race to run that we may be saved. And so by looking at these three ceremonies this morning, we will see that Jesus Christ is fulfilling the law of God on our behalf. I have titled the sermon this morning, The Active Obedience to the, of the Infant Christ. The active obedience of the infant Christ. And there are three things that I want you to see this morning. I want you to see his piety toward the, or, or the piety toward the law of God. I want you to see in the second ceremony, the purification of sin. And then thirdly, there in the third ceremony, the presentation of Christ. So we have three ceremonies taking place. And we're going to look at the piety towards the law, the purification of sin, and the presentation of Christ. So let us begin in verse 21 with the piety toward the law. Notice what takes place again. We read in verse 21, and when eight days had passed before circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we find here that Mary and Joseph are, are being obedient to what they have been commanded, but not just to calling him Jesus. They, they are not, it's not just an obedience to what the angel has told them to do there, but, but notice then passing there this issue of circumcision. So he is circumcised on the eighth day, he, and then they call him Jesus. And we, and we see that this is important because it is an obedience to the law of God. 
In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, we read that on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. But we know that, that this is a Jewish law. We know that this is a Jewish tradition. But it even goes further back than Moses giving the law. We know that it goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 17, where God has come to Abraham and he has given a promise to Abraham that he will have a son, even though they haven't been able to have children, but he will have a son and this son will be the first of many. And so that his people, this this nation that will come from Abraham will be the chosen people of God and God is going to set them aside. He's going to choose them out of the world. And the sign that they are different, that they are his people, is the sign of circumcision. They will have a covenant marked by circumcision. Now, it's important that we understand why circumcision. There's two main things here that you need to understand. And and I know this is what every pastor dreams of, what every topic he wants to talk about on Sunday morning. but, but, But understand, there are two main reasons for this, okay? First, as I said, this is a sign, and this is mainly what we need to look at here. It is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. You cannot be a Jew if you, as a young man if you have not been circumcised. He would not have been allowed in the temple. He would not have been allowed to preach. He would not have been allowed to, been allowed to come in and to teach the Pharisees when he's, when he's only you know, you know, a young boy. None of these things would have happened. He would not have been a rabbi where disciples would have followed him. He had to be part of the covenant community. And this was the sign. But secondly, according to Romans 4, we know that circumcision was also a spiritual object lesson that was needed for or, or, or showcasing a cleansing of the sinful depravity of the heart. It was a spiritual object lesson. Showing that God had came, has come into our heart. He has cleansed us from the inside out. The old man is gone. The old sinful thing has been cut off and gone. You see, circumcision was a physical symbol of a spiritual cleansing that man needed because sin was passed on. As ever, we are born into our sin. And we needed this cleansing. Obviously, Jesus did not need the sign for the second Uh, And you need to get that as we talk through this today. You need to understand that nowhere in this sermon am I telling you that Jesus was sinful. He, he He is not sinful. He does not need these signs. Unlike the rest of humanity, he did not inherit the sin of his father, Adam. Which leaves us with the reason, number one. Jesus was obeying the law of God. Jesus was obeying his law don't don't separate that jesus was was not in disagreement with the father he was not absent when the father gave the law to moses jesus was very much a part of be of giving the law he is god and god is obeying god's own law which is the whole point of these verses that Jesus Christ is going to keep the law of God. Now, on the eighth day after his birth, Jesus placed himself through circumcision under the law of God. Christ is now entering into the ring. He's entering into the race. And he must now actively keep the law that he has given to mankind. He must obey it in all of its requirements. 
all the way down to the fact that he must be circumcised on the eighth day. And maybe you're asking yourself, well, why? Why does he need to do this? He's not sinful. He is God. So, so why does God need to take upon himself these symbols and these signs, even though we know that, that he's without sin? Well, Galatians 4, verses 4, uh, 4 through 7. Paul writes, he says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because your sons God had because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, you are a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Christ comes in comes not only and takes on flesh. That's not enough. He must come under the Jewish law, the very law that God has given to his people. Why? That he may be legally bound to that law. That he may be legally bound to keep that law perfectly. So that he, may, that he has to now actively work to keep the law. And guess what? We know that Jesus never sinned. He never sinned in thought. He never sinned in word. He never sinned in action. So therefore, when Jesus, 33 years later, when they have this mock trial and he goes before them and they, and, they, and they basically deem him a blasphemer because he confesses that he is God and they kill him, what we know is, is that Jesus Christ is innocent, that he has kept the law, he has not sinned, not once, and therefore he is absolutely righteous in all things. And therefore, according to the very doctrine of substitution... The very doctrine of imputation that Christ goes to the cross as a righteous man. That God may treat him as a sinful man. God is placed under his own law so that he may treat Jesus as though you deserve as a sinful man. But in the substitution, treat you as Christ deserves. According to the doctrine of substitution... God treated Jesus as if he had lived a life of unrighteousness, your life. That God may treat you as though you have lived the life of Christ. Christ receives the punishment that you, of the punishment you deserve because you broke the law, because, because you denied him. You went about as a sheep seeking your own way. But brothers and sisters, he won our salvation. And so when we see that on the eighth day that he is being circumcised, the very first blood that is spilt, the very first cutting, yes, of the skin, the very first wound that he takes on the eighth day of his life is a foreshadowing and an active work of obedience to bear the sins of God's people. Dear friends, this is the very first evidence of his active obedience. And from this moment of pain and blood, Jesus will be working. I know we don't get all of the years when he's a baby. We don't get all of the years that when he's a son. And we want to know what he's doing. Do you want to know what Christ is doing in those years? He's keeping the law. 
And you're going, well, that's not a big deal. Do you not have children? Were you not a child? Because I'm here to tell you, when you tell a child not to do something, it is very hard for them not to do that thing. Or when you tell a child, or when you were told to go and do something, we know that because of the sinful nature, it was very hard for us to go and do that. Jesus himself, when those years as a young boy and a young man that we do not get, we want to know what he's doing. He has been placed under the law that he himself has been given, that he's given to us, and he's living it out in active obedience. He is living actively obeying God the Father. That's what he was doing for the first 30 years of his life. Dear friends, is, do you not see the beauty? For notice what it says, that on the eighth day had passed before his searches, they also gave him what? The name what? Jesus, which we've already talked about, means Yahweh saves. To save us from the law. God had to be placed under the law. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? What does this teach us? The very, it teaches us first that the hope of salvation is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the righteousness that he lived. Dear friends, Jesus couldn't have just showed up on a, fr- on a Friday and died and, and rose on a Sunday. It doesn't work that way. He couldn't have just showed up for just one week. I mean, if, if God can do whatever he wants, but here's what, he, what we see is, is that he comes and he keeps the law that he may be deemed righteous in every way, in every temptation, in every circumstance that you and I face in this life so that you can find righteousness. Your hope of salvation is not in your righteousness. You cannot earn it. You cannot keep the law. And you must stop basing your hope on heaven, on you being good, You must stop basing the hope on heaven that you are right with God because you did some really good things, because you've made a name for yourself, because you've been a good boy or a good girl, or you go to church or you give tithe. That is not where your salvation comes from. It does not come from your righteousness, and you must stop basing your hope of heaven on that. And you must recognize the fact that you are unrighteous, and Christ was punished for your unrighteousness. But in the repentance and in faith, He gives you His righteousness. You must recognize your sin and pray to God this morning that if you have not recognized your sin, if you have not looked in the mirror and seen how awful you really are, dear friends, that you would go and begin to pray to our Lord to reveal to you and to give you an understanding of how truly depraved you and I are so that you would then call out to the one who is righteous to the one who has kept the law in full obedience well dear friends I would call upon you today that if you are an unbeliever this is your hope and that you would call out to this Jesus who has kept the law for you But let me also say this to my brothers and sisters in the faith. This is also the peace that we have as as Christians. Can you imagine if you were to hear Sunday after Sunday how you have to keep the law? Would you imagine if you had to hear Sunday after Sunday how if you acted bad and you didn't do this that you would die and go to hell? Do you know how that sucks the joy and the peace out of you, dear friends? We don't, we don't have to worry about that because we understand. It, it, again, this is not a license to sin. That's a whole other sermon. But understand that this brings peace to the believer because we know that, that 
that Christ is righteous and my salvation is based on that. And so if you are one of those who struggle with the shame and the guilt and the worry, I would remind you that you would, I would ask you that you would remind yourself daily that you and Christ are one. I would call upon you to memorize the scriptures such as Galatians 4, Romans 4, Ephesians 2, and to continue the study of the scriptures and read books that deepen your understanding of our justification by faith. Dear friends, he kept the law that we may be saved. But secondly, notice the purification of sin. Look at verse 22 and verse 24. You actually have two things that are kind of intermingled. You kind of have a chiastic structure here. So two things, we're going to have to separate them a little bit. So when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, notice they brought him up to Jerusalem to present. So you have two ceremonies. So you have the days of purification, but then look at verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's deal with, you have two ceremonies, let's deal with this purification one first. Mary must be purified through the offering of these two turtle doves. The law of God required that a woman would make a sacrifice after the birth of a child. We see this again in Leviticus chapter 12 verses 1 through 5. And, and we don't have time this morning, you can go read that yourself. Leviticus 12, 1 through 5. Just, just go and read this week. What we see here is, is a ceremonial or religious uncleanness. And you say, well, what is this all about? Well, she would have to be set apart. She couldn't go into the temple. She had to be set apart from certain peoples and things. So, so when, a, when a woman had a child, it, you know, they went through this time where they, they were not able to go and worship. They were not able to touch the holy, consecrated things. Remember, the Lord is all about symbols. He's all about illustrations, real-life illustrations. And so this was an illustration to teach them of the purity of God and the impurity of people. And you say, well, why this? Well, because we know that as we are born, we are born in sin. And so mother and child, now unlike most children, unlike all children, Jesus is not sinful. But again, he's experiencing all the symbolic things that, that we do. And so the mother has to go through this period of uncleanness, and she has to go and have a sacrifice made on her behalf because it was teaching the people of God that the problem of sin, the problem of, spiritual, of being spiritually unclean, and that they needed a sacrifice to forgive their sins and to make them right with God. And so according to God's law, a woman must for a time be set apart. And so according to verse 22... That time has now come. It was 40 days from the birth of a son. And so they go as a family to, uh, to the temple so Mary can offer a sacrifice, but also they'll present Jesus. And so there's two sacrifices that are going to be presented. Now, notice what her sacrifice was there in verse 24. It says, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the normal sacrifice was a lamb or a turtle dove or pigeon. Not two turtle doves, pigeons, not two pigeons. It was a lamb and then the other. But notice that Mary does not offer a lamb. Why? Well, according to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, he writes, Moses says, But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. So in layman's terms, Joseph and Mary don't have any money. They're, they're, they're going through a really difficult time. This lets us know that the Magi have not come yet. Because Mary is going to have to offer a lamb for Jesus in just a moment. So she doesn't have enough money for, for his lamb and then for her lamb. But by God's grace, he paved a way that those who were in poverty could still offer a sacrifice. 
And for those who were extremely poor, it was an ephod of flour. She could not afford a lamb. And so therefore, she has to use a lesser sacrifice. Dear friends, as I worked through this message for the last two weeks, what I've seen is, is that this message is conveying to us the law of ritual purity. That God is pure and man is not and we are contaminated from birth and we are unfit to approach God and our only hope is a sacrifice that can cleanse us from our sins. But Mary doesn't have a lamb to offer. Can you imagine this feeling? As I've, as I've worked through this, all that I have thought through this past week is Genesis chapter 22. Do you remember the story? Abraham, I need you to take your son and I need you to lay him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice. But, but God, what about a lamb? You ain't got a lamb. And Abraham who goes to the mountain and he lays his son on the altar and he takes the knife and right before the knife is plunged into the heart of his son, we read in Genesis chapter 20, 22 verse 30, 13 and 14, Abraham looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered him up a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place. Do you remember? The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day that in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Do you know that every Passover Jesus Christ would offer a lamb? He had to. Because he had to obey the law. He was not simple, but he had to obey the law. Dear friends, so many times I believe we are like Mary and we we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize that we are contaminated. But like Mary, we approach God and we are so spiritually broken, so spiritually poor that we we do not have a lamb to offer. And yet, as Mary entered that temple with not a lamb for herself, two measly little birds, there in her arms, she held the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Do you know that in 33 years from this moment, that in 33 years from this sacrifice, Mary will never have to offer another sacrifice because the Son of God became man, took on flesh, and not only actively upheld the law, but He Himself would become the Lamb for the sacrifice of the purity of God's people, that the people of God may enter the temple may enter into His presence, because, not because they have to shed blood, but because the blood of Christ has been shed. I ask you this morning, are you like Mary? Are you impure and unclean this morning? Are you separated from God and, and you find yourself this morning in your sin and you're just going, God, I, can't, I don't have anything to offer you to make this right. I'm really afraid that we are entering into a time as Christians where we honestly think that we've got to be pragmatic to, to become, to be able to find forgiveness for our sins. We're seeing this on a national level right now. 
that if we want to be forgiven of the sins of God's people, that if we want to be forgiven, that we've got to go be like the world and we've got to go hire lawyers and we've got to do all these other things to become pragmatic. And yet, what we find in the Scriptures is, is a woman who is broken before the Lord, and she comes broken before God, recognizing her sin, repenting before God, and there in her arms is the Lamb of God. Dear friends, if you are in sin this morning, if you are an unbeliever this morning, and if you find yourself without a Lamb, and without deeds, and without works, and without money, and you're asking yourself this morning, what do I have to offer God? Dear friends, He made the offer for you. He was the offering. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. And He will, notice the wording, He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of purification. I no longer need another sacrifice for my purification. Because He is the ultimate sacrifice. I call on you today to stop laying your hands on pigeons. Stop trusting in turtle doves. And throw yourself at the feet of the Lamb of God. And confess your sins. Repent of your sins. And if you say, Brother Brian, I, 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 need, I need to do this. Then find someone today. Come to me, come to Brother Trey, find a trusted church member and come to them today and begin to talk with them, begin to, to let us show you what this looks like. But brothers and sisters, the sacrifice has been made. But again, I, let me speak to the believer this morning and not to the, just the unbeliever. If you're struggling with sin, if you have found yourself that you are living in sin, you need to recognize that 1 John 1, 9 also, do, it also applies to us. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Dear brother and sister, hear me. If you are a Christian this morning who is living in sin... And you're saying, I need to get out of this sin. I need to do something. Maybe you're saying, well, maybe I just need to be, be rebaptized. Nope. Well, maybe I just need to rededicate myself. Nope. You need to repent. And you need to throw yourself on the Lamb of God, knowing that His sacrifice is enough for you to cleanse you to make you whole, to sanctify you, not only just save you, but to sanctify and grow us in the faith. Christ is not only, did not only keep the law, He becomes the sacrifice of purification for us who have broken the law. And then thirdly, notice the presentation of Christ. Look again, verse 22. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed... Notice it says, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now the final ceremony is one of presentation and redeeming. The ceremony goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 13. And then we see it through Leviticus and even Numbers. But it goes all the way back to 13 verse 1. During the tenth plague... Right before the 10th plague on Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, 
sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Now you know the story. That before the tenth and final plague fell upon the Egyptians, that God told his people that they were to take a lamb and they were to sacrifice. They were to have the Passover, the first Passover. And they were to take the blood and they were to put it on the door frame. And so this blood would be a symbol and a sign that these people had been redeemed by God. And, the, and, and so the angel of death would pass over them and the firstborn would be spared, but not the Egyptians. And so as a way of remembering the grace of God and the sparing of the sons of Israel, God instituted a law, a command that every year, or, or for, not every year, I'm sorry, that every child that is born or even the firstborn of the animal was to, be, was to be given unto the Lord or even redeemed. The unclean animals were to go into the service of the Lord. The unclean either had to have a clean animal sacrificed on their behalf or their neck was to be broken. For the sons, the Levites, we know that they would go straight into the service of the Lord. They would be the priest and they would serve the Lord there in the temple. But according to Numbers 18, every other tribe would have to pay a redemption price. Five shekels. The price of a lamb. A lamb that would be slain. This was a symbolic reminder of the salvation and the redemption of Israel. That God had spared their sons. And so for every firstborn son, they would hear the story of how they were set aside for the service and the work of God. Now these sons were, as I said, set apart. They were redeemed. Now hear what I am saying. I am not saying that Jesus was sinful and needed to be redeemed. What I am saying is what we read in Hebrews chapter 2, that Christ became like us, came under the law, and he took and he, does, he goes through the law. He takes on every symbolic picture. Again, every year he would have to sacrifice a lamb to be in accordance with the law. So Jesus is without sin. Jesus did not need to be redeemed. Yet he experiences a symbolic picture of redemption within the law. His circumcision, his baptism, the offering of lambs at the Passover, all of these things. But here on day 40, he would experience a symbolic picture of redemption as Mary's firstborn. It was as if he was, they were saying, this is our son, God. And we know that as you have spared our firstborn sons in Egypt, we know that you spare us today. We are setting our son aside for you, O Lord. He was set aside for the mission and the service of God. What is his mission? Redemption. The Redeemer takes upon the sign of redemption that he may now go and redeem the people of God. There's a story of two missionaries. That comes to mind with this, maybe to help you understand it. Who were passionate about missions and passionate about people hearing the gospel. And one day they learned of thousands of slaves in the West Indies who had never heard the gospel and would never hear the gospel because the slave owners would not allow for missionaries and preachers and Christians to come in and preach to the slaves. 
After much prayer and much conviction and passion, these two missionaries sold themselves into slavery. That they may go and be slaves. That they may bring the gospel to set the slave free. And I'm not talking about physical freedom. But the greatest freedom that we could ever experience, but the freedom from our sins and the wrath of God. Beloved, I find what's so amazing about this is that in 33 years from this time, Jesus, who takes on a symbolic picture of what God had done in Egypt, will now bring forth the great fulfillment of redemption. He would not just save Israel. He will not just redeem the firstborn sons of Israel, but God will make all Gentile and Jew, black and white, female, male. He will make all people who come to him, who come to him in repentance and faith, he will make all of them, he will redeem all of them and make them his firstborns. They will become his children. 33 years from this moment, the sinless Lamb of God will make spiritual redemption a permanent reality for all Christians. It will be far greater than what happened in Egypt. And everyone who experiences this redemption will be set aside for the service and the work of God. They will not only be sons and daughters But according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20, they will become ambassadors of Christ. For he writes, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is circumcised. Jesus will become the sacrifice of purification. And here we see that Jesus is set aside for the redemption of for the work of redemption for God's people. FBC, I ask you this morning, if you are a believer, have you set aside, have you been, if you are a Christian this morning, then know that Christ has redeemed you and that means that He has set you aside. You are His. But you are not His to simply sit. You are not His to simply go about life as you wish. Christ, from the very moment, in this moment, began to actively obey the law of God on your behalf. And from the moment of your salvation, from the moment of your redemption, you have been set aside to what? To actively obey the law of God for His glory. To, act, to, to, to actively be passionate for the Lord and seek and know Him. And through study and through prayer, you are, you are to be actively... Co- Keeping the commands of God, not because you, not because you have to, but because, but because you love Him, because He has come into your heart, and you have no greater desire than to fight your sin, to rid yourself of your sin that easily entangles you. You have been set aside as an ambassador for the ministry of the gospel. Dear friend, you have been redeemed that you may go on mission. You see, the children of God have been redeemed, as I said, not to sit, but to work, that they may build the kingdom of God. Where do we build it? 
You learned about it in Titus in Sunday school. You do the work here in the local church. Do you know that VBS, I hope you know, is around the corner. There's much work to be done. Do you know that this summer and we need teachers to teach children and, and youth. We need teachers to teach adults. Do you know that we have a community of unregenerate, unsaved people right next door surrounding us in this city, in this parish? Dear friends, Christ was set aside for the mission that you may come to know him. He has set you aside as well that you may be an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's work to be done, dear friends. And to those today who, have not, who do not know Christ as your Savior, oh, dear friends, you can experience the great redemption. You can experience the great adoption of Jesus Christ to be brought into the family, to be a son, a daughter, to be an heir. But you can't do it on your own works. You can't do it by cleansing yourself. And you will never redeem yourself. Again, I call upon you this morning, if you are an unbeliever and you are under conviction you must fall at the feet of the son of god for he kept the law for you he purifies you and he redeems you why or how because he himself became one of us and he succeeded where we have not dear beloved at the moment of the lord's circumcision the God of the Bible identified with us and submitted himself to the first wound, to the first pain, to the first bloodshed. Also that 33 years later, he would humbly submit himself to the pain, the blood, and the suffering, and yes, even death, death on a cross. And he does it and he did it for you and for me. Let's pray.